morning. Jordan, do you mind if I steal your podium? All right, just give me just a moment. It's kind of funny, the young guy gets the light. So, well. Oops. What do you do? Is this like a matter of faith or what? You mean that button? All right, good deal. All right, it's kind of high, so let's drop it down. How's that? Are we good? Everybody good? I'm going to move around a lot anyway, I think, Lord willing. So, uh, but we'll keep it here for now. So, good morning. I'd like to open in prayer. Uh, we have an incredible passage of Scripture in front of us, and isn't it a blessing to be able to be in God's Word, something we tend to take for granted? So this morning, as we look at the Word of God, we have a chance to feed together, uh, to be motivated together, to think about His Word. And so let's pray for that right now. Father, pray for uh, the words to say that these words be the words you would have this morning. Uh, I pray for uh, each one here, each heart, uh, to be open to your Word. Give me the words to say, and I just pray that you would take away anything you don't want said, but give me those thoughts you would want to have expressed this morning. So thank you for our brothers and sisters who are here, and thank you for your word, and may the Holy Spirit come, and may all of it come together right now and guide us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in verse 25 today, all the way into Ephesians 5, verse 2. So as we get into this this morning... uh, Matt, I need your password. (laughs) We're going to figure this out. So I've got Matt's laptop up here. uh, And while Matt comes up and logs in, let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to read it to you this morning, and then I want to go back and talk about it and and explain a little bit about it. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, as you've been in Ephesians, you know that uh, Paul has talked a lot about the fact that we're to put away the old man and we're to put on the new, and we talked about the concept of that. We talked about how the body of Christ is one unit. We are one together. We are one common unit. And that's become very clear, and I think you have to understand in this passage now that these verses that we're looking at today are given in the context of the corporate body, the community of our church. It's not just for individuals, it's for the church and it's for the community together. 
uh, of believers in Jesus Christ. It would be specifically for us as a church here. So we have to look at this as, if you will, a corporate kind of thing. And so these verses relate to our relationship together in this community of Jesus Christ. And so, as Paul says in the very beginning of verse 25, therefore, and I know you've heard, but when you see therefore, you want to ask what it is therefore. Y'all have heard that, right? Which means it always goes back to something before, and so we have to look back to what that is. And basically, looking back, Paul is saying, because of this new life we have in Jesus Christ, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with your neighbor. And so there's this idea that you put away falsehood when you came to Jesus Christ, and also falsehood is not appropriate for the body of Christ. And so he says, speak truth to one another. That's a hard thing in our world today because part of the sin of mankind is basically lying, whether it's the big lies, the little, as they say, little white lies, the little ones. And some societies seem to be very much, you know, when they're passive aggressive, they tend to avoid speaking directly and speaking truth. Now, he's not asking you to ramrod anyone here, but he's saying, be gracious in your speech, but be truthful. Be truthful with one another. Because we've put away falsehood, and we're not going to build the kingdom of Christ on falsehood and what is fake. For we are members one of another. We're all in it together. And so, uh, just like he said, if you look back in 422, it says... Um, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. As you put off the old life, you have to put off its falsehood and take on truth. That's so important. And there's a passage that's very much uh, parallel to this in Colossians chapter 3. And for those who might have tuned into my Colossians Facebook Live on Tuesday nights, uh, recently we got into this. Colossians 3.9 says, Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. If we're going to live in truth, that means living in God's knowledge, we have to be honest and truthful and not lie because lying is of the devil who came to destroy and kill and lie and deceive. So put it away, put away the falsehood. And that's the only way to build trust. And that's something we're very aware of here at FRAC. It's interesting that Chris prayed about the surveys. I've been looking at the surveys and, and uh, digging into them. And uh, we want to be truthful about that and come before you uh, when we finish that process, which that's like job one, job 1A, 1B, whatever. But it's way up there. So that we can come before you. We can say, we honor truth. We asked you to give us your opinions. You did, and we'll get back to you on that. And that's the only way to build trust and credibility. So now in verse 26, uh, we have this famous verse that is quite fascinating, really. Be angry and do not sin. And that's a quote from Psalm 4.4 in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And you're probably thinking, okay, Paul, which is it? Do you want me to be angry <laughs> or not. And the idea is God wants us to be angry about the things he's angry about in the sense of his, we love his justice, we honor that, we want to be angry against sin, we want to be angry against Satan. And I don't know about you, but it would not bother me in the least if in eternity Satan was a giant punching bag and all of us got to take a shot. What do you think? Anybody agree? Uh, and that's how we feel. But for now, we just kind of duck and run from his punches, and uh, we, need to, we need to fight back in the right way. So have God's heart, 
be angry, but don't let it go to the point of sin, like it's about your pride and those kind of things. So that's where it gets too far. And when you are angry, the other thing is don't let it fester, so let your anger expire. Don't hang on to it. I'm convinced that one of the issues we have in our country today in our society is the issue of anger. And that's one of the problems of social media. Now, I love the opportunity social media gives, for example, Facebook, but when I'm on it, uh, I'm like, man, there's such anger, and it's from all sides. And so I made an agreement with myself, and I said, self, you're going to stay out of political arguments on Facebook. You're not going to post anything negative. You're going to post things of beauty. You're going to challenge people's thinking, but you're basically going to stay above that garbage because there's such anger there. And I feel like that's one of the things that permeates American society that we're trying to work through. It's just this massive anger. And it, you know, it's on all different sides, but I think our society is incredibly angry. Y'all see that? Do you feel the same way? You certainly see it when you're on the highway. Now, in Atlanta, when I was there, this is an aside, I'll make it real quick, but Atlanta, the drivers are really gracious in the sense of letting you in. I mean, it happened all the time. But if you did not accelerate like one one thousandth of a millisecond after the light turned green, they'd honk at you. And I felt like they were driving angry. And I think that's their society. We're driving angry. So anyway, um, don't let it go too far. And what is fascinating here is he says, don't give an opportunity to the devil. devil. Uh, literally, that word topos in the Greek means place. Like topography comes from that word. It refers to place. When we study topography, we're studying, you know, the, the place, the area, the terrain, and so on. And I want to show you a couple of places where this is used. So we're going to kind of do a little Bible uh, drill here. Would you turn with me to Luke 11? Hold your place here, but turn to Luke 11. So this morning, we're going to look at Luke briefly. Luke 11. And in verse 24, as Jesus is speaking, um, and you know, he cast out demons quite a bit. It's amazing how many demons were there at the time, and Jesus cast them out, and then he got accused of being one of them and all that kind of thing. And so he responds to that. But in verse 24, he says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And the idea that literally the demons and Satan are looking for a place. They're looking for a place. If you'll go with me to Revelation 12, so we're going to move a little quickly here. Revelation chapter 12, I'd like to show you another passage. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. And in verse 7, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. I think it's kind of almost funny how John makes sure you understand who he's talking about here. The deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth. But look at that. Satan wanted a place. He had a place. He lost his place. He's thrown down. And so where is the last place we want to give Satan a place? It's in our own lives, in our own hearts. So that's the word tapas there. In both those passages I read, and here in Ephesians chapter 4, literally do not give a place to the devil. Don't open it up. 
And where this fits in this passage is, if I as a believer get upset about something, and I start to get bitter, and then I start to complain, and I start to spread that, it's like poison. And the longer it goes on, Satan, his forces, they're watching me. They're watching it happen. And they know we're about to get a foothold here. We're about to get a place in Sid's heart. We're about to get a place in his life. And they will come in, and they're looking for a place. So let's not be that way. Let's be very careful and very alert that we're not giving Satan a place. Now in verse 28, and I'm going to come back here. Okay. By the way, um, Alicia was wanting a title this week, and I gave her two. One was really like in a very, I don't know, middle, middle ages. And then I gave her this one. So this is one she put up here. And I think it pretty much summarizes this passage. How to be delightfully fragrant instead of putrid. Now, you're wondering where I got the word putrid from. I'll show you in a moment. Just show you it's in Scripture. So we're obviously dealing with the Ephesians in Asia Minor. By the way, I don't know if you've seen this, but this is the Temple of Diana in Ephesus, also known as the Temple of Artemis. This was the big shrine where people came to worship. And so the Christians in Ephesus were preaching against that, which put them in a place of persecution. But that was, that's a, obviously a drawing of the temple, what it would have looked like. And in this passage, um, basically what I did, I did this last week. I want to show this to you this morning uh, briefly. These are the main statements in Greek. Now, all of it is inspired, and I'm not trying to knock something that's not up here. But my point is, in Greek, it gives main statements, and then it gives supporting information, or what we call modifiers. And so, because we're members of one another, Paul says, take off falsehood and speak the truth with your neighbor. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give space to the devil. And if you're a thief, stop stealing. Instead, get to work. And you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. This is, <laughs> these are Christians. What do you mean? Well, undoubtedly, back then, and it could be today, but a lot of the believers came to Christ, but they had been thieves in their past life. They had no problem with stealing. And so they kind of brought that in as a human behavior, as a habit, and it was there in the church. And so Paul says, if you've been stealing, then stop. Ironically, this week I saw Christianity Today had an article. It'll be in their April magazine, I believe. The title is Thieves You Shall Always Have With You. And the subtitle is A Question and Answer with Scholar Todd Johnson on Global Trends in Christian Embezzlement. And I'm not sharing that as a joke. I mean, it's right here. If any of you want to read it, you're welcome to, or I'll send you the PDF. But it is unfortunately a real issue there. Where I was in Georgia, it had happened there. Now, I think here we're dealing not so much with embezzlement, but garden variety stealing. And so basically, throw that down. You're now a new member in Jesus Christ and quit stealing. And labor instead, that's the word to labor to the point of exhaustion in the Greek. And uh, do honest work with your own hands so that you may have something to share with anyone in need. So that's the idea. The body of Jesus Christ works together and in working together, we have an obligation to look out for each other. And if I'm stealing, then I'm not working hard and preparing to be able to help the body of Jesus Christ. And back then with the persecution and all of that, they needed to support one another. 
There's a, an aside on this I'd like to share with you, um, a story that happened to me years ago. And I mean, we're going back about 30, 31 years, okay? But this, this happened, the stories I'm gonna tell you this morning really happened. I, I don't make them up, if I make them up or it's a joke or whatever, I'll let you know. These really happened, okay? So I'm teaching in this learning center in Georgia. It's high school kids from the public high school. Many are believers, many are not believers. And they come in and we give tests and we give material that they have to, to work on. And we have to give grades because those grades get transferred to the high school for graduation credit. So some time went on and I realized I had this class where students were, were cheating. And as a teacher, you can tell when common answers are coming in. It's like, Johnny, you're not that smart, you know, or whatever. But I could tell they were cheating. You see the pattern. If your name is Johnny, no offense. So I thought I'd do something really smart and creative. I gave a test. And in the test, I gave them this question. Read Ephesians 4, 25 through 28. And tell me how it relates to your schoolwork. So they had to read, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, etc. Well, one smart student looked at that last thing in verse 28. It says, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. <laughs> I was like, not so fast. <laughs> well, as a teacher also, when the test results come in and you look at them, you can tell when you've made a mistake. And it didn't take that many tests coming in and I looked at them like, oh no, something's gone wrong. I put a typo in here somewhere. So I went back and looked at it. Sure enough, I had a typo. Instead of Ephesians 4.25, it was Ephesians 5.25. Read this and explain how it applies to your schoolwork. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How does this apply to your schoolwork? <laughs> and as long as I live, I will never forget. I memorized it. I had a, a student named Jamie. Jamie was point guard on the basketball team. Great kid. In fact, he later got married to a girl who's running the local Christian school. Uh, but Jamie was just kind of an easygoing guy, but he gave the greatest answer I've ever seen on any test in my life. And Jamie said, you should treat your schoolwork no different from your wife. You should not cheat on either one of them. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing to say. That was absolute perfection. So... I just thought it was hilarious. I could not read this passage without thinking about Jamie all these years later. So that's the deal. Put away falsehood, stay faithful, stay true, be focused on the truth. And now he's going to shift gears, and I think we have to understand that in our community, in verse 29, it's just, this is still related to the community. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, it may give grace to those who hear. So the word for corrupting talk, the word is used in ancient Greek for rotting fish, rotting trees, rotting fruit, so you get the idea. And one way it's translated is with the word putrid. So no, let no rotten, 
corrupting putrid talk come out of your mouth toward one another. Now, that's kind of a high standard, isn't it? Because, you know, as sinners, we, um, we kind of just kind of let that slide. Psalm, or pardon me, Proverbs 13. Would you turn there real quick with me? Proverbs 13. I'll read it to you, but uh, if you want to turn it, Proverbs 13, verse 3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Has God ever convicted you on that? I think it's pretty common. Most of us feel convicted about it at some point or another. But I think it's interesting. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such for good for building up. Now, for some people, they say, well, that's boring. I like to say what I like to say. But God's standard is that we're to build one another up, and the words we use should be edifying and building up. As fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So the other day, I got my hair cut finally. I've been trying to, but anyway, it finally worked out. And I was talking to the, uh, the barber uh, who's full of tattoos and everything else. And uh, we just had a great conversation but she was talking about how people would come in and be really rude and judgmental of her and assume things. And she said, yeah, they think, because I moved here from California, I'm this liberal from California. So I said, well, are you liberal? I mean, you know, I'm just having a conversation. We had a really, really good conversation. She says, I'm kind of in the middle, but my husband's a Marine. And he's definitely not liberal. So we had this really good conversation, but I thought somebody had come in there and, fell, and failed to give grace to, those, to that lady. And so when that happens, when we don't give grace to one another, poison spreads and poison comes in and it's so devastating. So I've got a, a story I want to tell you and there is a point to this, so hang in there. But again, true story. So while I was in Georgia, uh, the arrangement we had was that I would commute back and forth to see Susie and she would sometimes come to Georgia. And last summer I was coming to see her and I was uh, flying out of Chattanooga, changing planes in Houston, flying into Colorado Springs. I won't mention the name of the airline system that I use, okay? But by the way, isn't it great for all of us to be united here today together in Jesus Christ? <laughs> and being a frequent flyer and having flown a lot and knowing the trends, so I'm in Houston, which is another story, but I'm at the airport in Houston and waiting for my flight and I start getting the text that I get half of my flights. We've had a delay, we've had a delay. Well, the evening goes on and they text, and I cannot believe they texted this, we have to repair the wing. And I'm thinking, I guess you ran out of bubble gum, didn't you? It, great, and the longer this goes on, you get all these texts, I'm like, they're gonna cancel the flight, I know how this works. So anyway, they don't. But it's 11 o'clock at night, at night, not in the morning, 11 o'clock at night in Houston. Most of the other flights are taken off. Our flight, the people are exhausted. You know, they're just wanting to get home. They know it's going to be a long night. We're going to get in after midnight. Everybody's wiped out. And they say, we're going to board. So we go down to that little uh, area in the basement there to get ready to go out to the, the flight. And there's a lady in line. And she says, well, what about the wing? And the gate agent said, oh, they're going to give us a different plane. And I was like, no, I didn't say it, but I was thinking, no, they're not. I know how this works. You know, they put the bubble gum on it, and off we go. So we get on the flight, and I'm in lavatory class. And I am not in the back row, but the row right in front of it. 
And near the end of boarding, this lady, the lady who asked about the wing, comes all the way back and sits literally right behind me. And I kid you not, what I'm about to tell you is not made up. She immediately answers, I hate to fly, and I'm going to scream this entire flight. And I'm thinking it's going to be a bad day in Blackrock. And I'm thinking, you know, you could try to sleep, but, I, but I'm concerned because if this gets out of hand, the flight could be stopped. We may not be able to take off. They may have to go to an alternate airport. Or a passenger may come back and totally thrash her. And I might get blood on me. Uh, but it's like, this could get out of hand. But I kid you not, every time there was a bump, it was, ah! When you fly into Colorado Springs, you're going to have some turbulence. And it wasn't a bad flight, but throughout the flight, boom, 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 whatever. Ah, ah, ah. And I look around, and she's got the death grip. And I said, okay, try this with me. This will help you relax. Take your hands and do this. And so throughout the flight, I'm looking back there. She's like this, and I'm like, and so she would relax, and uh, we got into an interesting conversation just trying to keep her mind off of it, even talking about cannabis and everything else. And I'm thinking the best thing for you would have been to have drunk a whole bottle of CBD before you got on this flight. <laughs> um, but she was on her fourth flight of the day, had flown to Jacksonville to get a dog, had done it all in one day. She was stressed out. Everybody was stressed out in the entire flight. Every time there was a noise, she would scream. So I got to talking to her, and I tried to get her mind off it as much as possible, but this was still going on, like we're about to land. Foomp. Ah! And I'm like, that was the landing gear coming down and locking in. You want to hear that sound. So this is how the flight goes. But let me tell you what happened somewhere around 12.30 in the morning. Something shifted in the cargo compartment. Foomp. Ah! We're gonna die! If I had done what I wanted to do, I would have been arrested upon landing. So I tried to keep my cool. I turned around and I said, in the etiquette of air travel, one word we do not use in the middle of a flight up in the air is the word die. Try to get her talking about it. But anyway, she literally did this. And I was thinking, you know, all this was going on for over two hours. It's after midnight. It was nuts. But what I was concerned about was this kind of thing was going to stress out the people who had been waiting all day long to get in this tiny metal tube and fly at 30,000 plus feet to get to Colorado. We're already stressed out. We're already tired. And this kind of thing is only going to stress out everybody. It's only going to potentially lead to violence, either for me or somebody else. And it's just going to make a horrible flight at the minimum. And I mean, this is going on. People are trying to sleep, and she yells out, we're going to die. Dear Lord, give me wisdom to give me the words to say. Now, why do I tell you that story? Because, think about it, you're in a confined environment, and the last thing you want is to have somebody destroying your morale saying we're going to die, saying the worst is going to happen, living in all the bad stuff. And I would submit to you, even though it's different, different situation, that in the local church, it is something of a confined environment. 
And we have a responsibility to each one of us in the body of Jesus Christ. And if I freak out, if I panic, if I gossip, if I malign, if I do all these kind of things, it's not just about me and my mouth. It's going to seep into the entire body of Jesus Christ. And that's why I think it's so important that we be careful what we do because we are responsible for one another and what we do does affect the morale of everyone else. And I think actually if you look down at the passage in verse 30, this famous passage about um, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, that that probably relates to the context of watching your mouth because rotten talk actually grieves the Holy Spirit. And so if we shoot our mouths off in a way we shouldn't, the Holy Spirit is grieved. And look down at verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Down at verse 31. Well, I think that verse is a little hard to understand until you understand that the word clamor there, it says clamor right in the uh, ESV. By the way, I'm using the ESV if you haven't figured it out. The word clamor actually is used in the Greek for shouting or screaming in a quarrel. For yelling loudly with intense, intense tone, basically. And so when you look at it that way, there's a progression here. Paul is saying, don't let bitterness, which leads to wrath, which leads to anger, which leads to yelling and slander, don't let it permeate your life because when you get really upset and bitter, or I do, then there's this progression that happens and then finally we blow up. And usually when there's a yelling event, you know, people are yelling at each other, it's not like it just came out of nowhere. It's like there's been this buildup to it and that's what happened. It broke through. So Paul is warning us, don't get to that point. But instead, verse 32, you notice this trend, he'll say, don't do the bad stuff. Let me give you the good stuff. And so in verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Why? Because we're in the body of Jesus Christ together. So my friends, um, we need to have the attitude of we are forgiven people. God has delivered us he has forgiven us and we need to treat others likewise that's what he wants us to have forgiveness is not an easy thing in fact the other night we talked about it on the Facebook live and as soon as we shut down I got a, a question from someone we hear about forgiveness all the time how do we actually do it so I'd like to take just a moment to talk about forgiveness we're all forgiven right we get plenty of reasons why we need to forgive somebody else but that's harder to do so I want to read you a couple of quotes here. The model for Christians forgiving one another is God's own forgiveness of his people. God's act of forgiveness is both the motivation and the pattern for forgiving others. God's act of redemption through the cross set the standard. There is no greater example of forgiveness that we can talk about. Stephen Neal said, forgiveness can spring only from a self-forgetfulness that is more concerned about another's well-being than about its own, and that longs for the renewal of fellowship even when fellowship has been flouted and destroyed by the willful aggression of another. 
And then the greatest quote I've ever heard on forgiveness is from C.S. Lewis, and I'm going to read it to you twice. That's so good, and if you want it, let us know. We can post it or we can send it to you. C.S. Lewis said this, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. We are offered forgiveness on no other terms. To refuse it means to refuse God's mercy for ourselves. There is no hint of exceptions, and God means what he says. I find that incredibly convicting. And having been around the world to work with the persecuted believers in many different places that are, some of them are very sensitive, I can tell you the most amazing thing is to go to a community where believers have been beaten, killed, those kind of things, and the survivors say, I forgive, I forgive. Had a chance to be in Vietnam. They brought in, you know, a lot of Vietnam is really nice to visit. I love Vietnam, but on the fringes of the country, there's still persecution. And uh, our host brought in, I think it was eight different tribes represented, people from eight different tribes. And we all prayed together, and they prayed in their own tribal language, which was amazing. And the leader there uh, said that he had been beaten. He'd been in prison like 11 times. I was like, well, you know, some people say when they're beaten, they feel the first blow, and then after that, God takes the pain away. Was that your case? He's like, no, I felt all the blows, but I forgave. Wow. And yet, we have so much difficulty letting go of a grudge. C.S. Lewis, again, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. We are offered forgiveness on no other terms. To refuse it means to refuse God's mercy for ourselves. There is no hint of exceptions. And God means what he says. And the bottom line here, if you look at Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, therefore, be imitators of God. This is where we get our word mime from. A mime does what the mime sees someone else doing. Be imitators of God as beloved children, because God loved you, and he sent his son to die for you. And walk in love, here's your command, walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Isn't that amazing? Because what it's saying is that Jesus was not passive. He wasn't just standing there and all of a sudden they came up and grabbed him and sent him to the cross. He's like, okay, if I have to. Jesus actively chose to go to the cross for you and for me. And that is amazing. You can't beat that love. And so what God says is likewise, walk in love. I think it's uh, just kind of interesting to phrase a fragrant offering. As I've been reading the Pentateuch lately, I realized... When God set the standard for the tabernacle, he gave specific directions on the actual chemical formulation of the incense. Do you remember that? He says, it's got to be this way. And he's like, and you cannot make it for yourself or you'll be under judgment. It can only be for the tabernacle. Oh, de tabernacle, if you want to call it that. But only for the tabernacle. Because God wanted the fragrant offering. smell the fragrant uh, sacrifice that was pleasing to him and that's what Jesus was 
Wow. So when we look at the standard, God sets the standard way up here. The standard is not that believer next to you who's got a rotten, putrid life. The standard is Jesus Christ himself. Wow. Wow. I want to close with uh, some concluding points. I would have put them up here, but uh, basically uh, I thought that's a lot for you to try to write down. What I want to do is give these to Alicia. We're going to make them available to you because I think, um, I think this would be good for all of us to, to grasp. So uh, we'll have them for you. You don't have to write them down. Please just listen. Concluding, we're expected to live new. Why? Well, first, we are dearly loved and sacrificed for. Second, we are forgiven. Third, the Holy Spirit sealed us and lives in us. And if you look at the passage, by the way, it doesn't say if you sin, the Holy Spirit will be taken away, you'll lose your salvation. The Holy Spirit's still with you. He's just grieved. Number four, we have a present and a future with God. Number five, we are joined to one another in the body of Christ. We are in community. So therefore, we have to root out the corrupt things in our lives and in our body. We have to use our voices to build up, not tear down or spread poison into the body. We must use words of grace. We have to be truthful, honest, and hardworking. We have to stomp out bitterness before it flames into malice. We must be kind to one another. We must forgive one another. Bottom line is, we're supposed to be like Christ, imitating Him and walking in love. And that's what Paul says we need to be doing because we're new creatures. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ, the Savior. Uh, as much as I preach about this and talk about it, I can never fully get my hands around the magnificence of the sacrifice he made, the choice he made. As we come up to Good Friday and Easter, we're going to be talking about it more, but oh, just help us to understand it freshly this year, the incredible, magnificent uh, work of Jesus, your incredible love for us. The quote-unquote least we can do, Father, is to live the way he lived, to live the way you want us to live, to honor him and to honor you. So give us the strength to do that individually and as a body. I thank, my, thank you for my friends at FRAC. What a blessing to be here. I pray that you'd help us all to continue to grow together in love. In Jesus' name.